It is Wednesday, May 31st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. Jared is on vacation this week because, I don't know, he's lazy, I guess. So I asked our running back prospector to come in, talk some dynasty running backs with me. That's why you got CH Herms on the camera with me right now. If you follow the Draft Sharks Twitter, you might have noticed that we've been sharing some dynasty rankings this week that included the top 10 running backs on there. We're going to be running through those guys today. We're going to talk through each of them. You know, if you're on there, you can see the what. You can check our dynasty rankings right now and see even more of the what, but there's not a whole lot of the why. So we're going to get into a bit more of the why on this show. And, you know, maybe some players that Herms or I disagree with. We're going to be talking about not only players, though, but also strategy as we go. And we have added a brand new section to DraftSharks.com this year. It's called DraftSharks University in-depth explanations of the strategies that we apply in our own play across formats, as well as the DraftSharks tools that can help you optimize your teams, whatever format you're playing. So Herms, if you go, if anybody goes to the advice section on DraftSharks.com, you can find DS University up top, you click into it, and then you get into all these helpful areas. I decided to go to the dynasty strategies for this one, obviously, because that's what we're talking about here. And if you go down in the dynasty strategy in that DS University section, we'll look at running backs because that's the focal point today. And what do we say first with running backs? Get in early on them. Doesn't mean you have to take them early in your draft. It means you want to target early career running backs. And why are we so focused on getting running backs before they get older? Because once you hit a certain point when you're playing in the NFL and you receive the ball that many times, your body gets banged up. And there's all sorts of evidence statistically and so forth that points to the fact that once you get past around 26, 27 years old as a running back, those statistical returns are very, very diminished. So these guys that are in their first, second, third years of their career, that is probably going to be their peak production. And you really want to make sure that you have those guys then and move on from them before it's a little bit too late. And it's not just, oh, yeah, duh, running backs. The more they get hit, the more they're going to wear out. We're not just saying, nah, I don't like this guy because he's older. We've studied this stuff. We've got aging curves working behind the scenes on DraftSharks.com, letting you know this style of running back declines at this point in his career, you know, this age, this year into his career. And it's different by where a guy enters the league. A guy who's drafted in round one, early round two, a guy who enters the league in round two, but then uh, performs like a round one running back. Those guys will age differently through their careers, whether they're pass catchers, whether they're workhorse runners. All of that is different. Our guy, Alex, fortunately knows how to figure all that out because that's not my area, but I've seen the spreadsheets. Those are working behind the scenes on the dynasty rankings. So as we run through these, this is not just the product of a bunch of dudes sitting around a room and saying, yeah, I like him at four. No, I like him at eight. It's science. It's projections. It's players. It's science. And then it's a little bit of, I'm not quite comfortable with that. Let's see if it can make sense somewhere else. So there's certainly a little bit of that worked in, but there's a lot more work behind these than your typical dynasty rankings. Now we did some explaining. It's time to get to what people came here to see, Herms. Let's talk about those rankings. Top 10 dynasty running backs. This is PPR. Of course, if you go to draftsharks.com, you can check whatever format. Um, number one on the list, probably in any format at this point, is Bijan Robinson. And I, I don't think it's going to meet much controversy. There are people who say, I'm not taking him number one, but there aren't that many of those. And, and why is he such an immediate leader of the dynasty running back crew? On top of just how talented we feel that he is, I mean, like you were saying before, I went through, I evaluated all these guys, these rookie running backs for their profiles on the website. Like, Bijan can catch, he can run, he can do all of that. But he landed not only with top 10 draft capital in the NFL, which is unheard of for running backs these days, but he landed with a head coach and Arthur Smith down there with the Falcons that was the offensive coordinator back in Tennessee that was at least part of the reason why Derrick Henry saw such a massive workload for so long. And if we look at what's already on their depth chart, like, yes, Tyler Algier was very good in you know spurts last year, but... There's nothing stopping Bijan from immediately walking in and receiving a monster workhorse role, which is really rare in the NFL these days as we keep seeing these backfields transition to heavy committees and all things like that. And 
the really fun reports that we've heard from the off-season workouts where Bijan's telling everybody, hey, Arthur Smith is using me all over the field. He's, you know, handing me the ball to run. He's, you know, setting me up in the receiving game really nicely. So it's not like we're just pulling that out of thin air either. It's already being implemented early on in these practices. So there's really no reason to not be excited. Yeah, the Falcons were talking about positionless football after drafting Bijan Robinson. And, you know, you hear that and you kind of chuckle at it a little bit. But the key there is they're not just going to set him in the backfield. All of his receptions are not going to be screen passes. They'll move him around. And he is capable of moving around. It's not just the top shelf running that we saw at Texas. He's an accomplished receiver. He can he could probably start at slot receiver for them, even if he wasn't a running back. So Bijan Robinson's going to get the ball a ton. This team has already showed in Atlanta uh, under Arthur Smith that they want to run the ball a ton. And on top of all the factors you just said, the Falcons have barely invested anything in running backs since Arthur Smith got there. Like the biggest investment they have made is re-signing Cordero Patterson after they signed him for tiny money and gave him the ball more than anybody expected them to. And then they cut down his workload. Um, otherwise, it was bringing in, you know, undrafted free agents, late draft picks. Tyler Algier was a day three pick. Now they took Bijan Robinson eighth overall. Clearly, he's just different than what they have used at the position to this point. So if you have any concerns about the workload, let him go. Uh, Bijan Robinson's the number one. And I, I don't think it's really particularly close when you factor in, you know, the, that he's brand new and that everybody thinks he's very good. So. Jumping to number two on our list, I, I think, Herms, this is where you can really start to see some room for variation. Our number two, even in PPR, is Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. He lacks the reception ceiling of some other guys. Uh, I think, though, when you put together the rushing ceiling, the fact that he's going to be a rushing workhorse every time he's on the field with plenty of receiving. He might not have the receiving ceiling of Austin Eckler, maybe not of Bijan Robinson. We'll see about that. But Jonathan Taylor is going to catch enough passes as long as he's healthy and on the field to rank among those top guys in total touches. Absolutely. And especially what really helps his case for fantasy moving forward is the fact that, you know, after that nightmare of last season in which, you know, they fire Frank Reich at head coach, they bring in Jeff Saturday and that whole thing implodes. Like, we only saw Jonathan Taylor play in 11 games, but he was still super efficient. You go over to PFF, you look at all that stuff, like, still very elusive, still very high running grade. But Shane Steichen coming in, over from Philadelphia, the offensive coordinator, he's going to be doing things now. And if we recall, that's a very run-heavy offense that they're going to be installing. And I think the other thing on top of that that makes it really exciting for Jonathan Taylor is that the Colts invested in quarterback Anthony Richardson, a guy that, you know, super talented athlete that, you know, relative athletic score off the charts, perfect 10, but he still has room to grow as a passer. He's, you know, he only had that one year starting in college. So what are the Colts most likely to do with their offense as Richardson, you know, kind of evolves and develops a little bit more? Run the ball. That's really going to be their most effective method of advancing the ball down the field. So like, I don't know. People are maybe a little bit sour on Jonathan Taylor after what happened last year, all sorts of things like that. But we're not too far removed from a 2021 season in which he led the league in carries, rushing yards, rushing yards per game and total touchdowns. You just kind of have to throw what happened last year out the window and remember that this guy is just that good. Yeah, I mean, his RB1 overall season did come in a slightly down scoring year for running back overall, but workloads there. I think sometimes we can get into a little bit of trouble by assuming too much of what a new coach did at his last stop and what he will do at his new place. But in the case of Shane, Shane Steichen, as you alluded to, they brought in a quarterback who is a dual threat like Jalen Hurts, who is probably underdeveloped versus where some other rookie quarterbacks are. So they probably will not be looking to lean too heavily on the passing side of that. So you know, like you said, I expect plenty of Jonathan Taylor work this year. The only thing he really did wrong last year was get hurt. That's going to happen at running back. Jonathan Taylor just turned 24 in January, so age is not a concern yet. And like I said, he's going to be a workhorse whenever he's on the field. Maybe Anthony Richardson steals a few touchdowns from him, a few more certainly than Matt Ryan would have. But if Anthony Richardson hits as a quarterback, it's going to help the offense overall. So I, I would just say I'm not worried about Jonathan Taylor. Now, 
if you prefer number three, Brees Hall over Jonathan Taylor, that's fine. I mean, he probably has a higher receiving ceiling than Jonathan Taylor does, and that could be enough. He's coming off an ACL tear, so that's a temporary concern. We'll see if it turns into anything more than temporary. Speaking of temporary, Aaron Rodgers, probably a positive for Brees Hall this year. We'll see beyond that. There are some folks who would treat that quarterback uncertainty as a downside risk for Hall. I'm not counting it at all. I expect Aaron Rodgers to be on that team this year. I'm not going to count on him for 2024 and beyond, but I'm also not going to count that as a positive or negative when I'm grading Brees Hall's long-term dynasty value. What about you, Herms? I think it's good to think about it that way, especially because whether or not Rodgers is there long-term, you know, kind of goes into the fact that Brees Hall still has to come back from the ACL. And that first year back for running backs, we do see diminished production compared to where they're going to be in year two removed from the ACL tear. So the payoff for him to really ramp up and get back to form may end up being in 2024 anyway. But it, just as far as 2023 goes, like, yeah, if everything goes well and he's able to you know start the season relatively healthy, maybe it's one of those situations like with J.K. Dobbins last year where, you know week one, week two, week three, you know, kind of ease him along a little bit. But once he comes back, boom, ready to go. And I'm just excited. I, I love Brees Hall. He's still so young. That's the biggest thing about it is like even that there's tons of research out there about guys that come back from ACL tears that I kind of sort of alluded to. But the guys who are younger that tear their ACL tend to bounce back faster. And if I recall, like Brees Hall's like barely over 21 years old, 22 years old. So like this dude, yeah, exactly 22 years old. We got this here on the site. Yeah. So I'm not really that worried about him being able to bounce back physically. And I just, I love the offensive system that they run there with the Jets. It's going to be, I, I don't know. I, I'm too excited. I'm too excited. You're going to have to pick me up. I have not been in on Brees Hall at cost for redraft so far, but that's the key difference between that and Dynasty is we're looking that we are looking at 2023. That matters, of course, for your Dynasty team. Yeah. But beyond that, I mean, he's he's one year in. He's got plenty of room to move beyond the ACL, even if it limits him this coming year. And then just getting back to the quarterback thing. Imagine if last year you had downgraded Brees Hall slightly for Zach Wilson being around. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Aaron Rodgers there. So that's a much more extreme change than most players are going to get in their offenses. But it's a reminder that you don't know uncertainty. Isn't necessarily bad uncertainty for a player's outlook could wind up being a good thing. So be careful about how you weight it either way. Number four on our list is a guy who bounced back from his own ACL tear. It took him a little bit. Maybe he's a cautionary tale. Saquon Barkley. Number four was our comeback player of the year last year. It worked out. Now Barkley is 26. He is about to start his second contract going into his sixth NFL season. Still hasn't hit a thousand carries yet for his career, though. Obviously, a big part of that is the injuries. There's the ACL. He's had two separate ankle sprains that limited his time. Herms, where are you at on Saquon Barkley? Does he belong up this high? Or are you a little wary about him? I think he absolutely belongs this high. I mean, this is a guy that we were talking about when he came into the league the same way that we were just gushing over Bijan Robinson earlier. You know, there's just so much evidence that we've seen of Saquon Barkley being a high-end runner, but also a very good pass catcher. Now, I don't think he's ever going to get back to being the type of volume receiver that he was as a rookie, getting all those checkdowns from Eli Manning, but it's still going to be a facet of his game that's very helpful to him. And the fact that, like you were talking about before, injuries caused him to miss 22 of 50 possible games between 2019 and 2021. And he was still able to produce super high-level production when he was healthy. You know, we have to just assume that these disconnected injuries, like you were talking about, like it's not like like Will Fuller used to be with the hamstring or, you know, players like that. Like, granted, I'm no doctor, but from what I have read, you know, listening to people that are more experts in this medical side of football and stuff is that as long as injuries aren't like, super connected on the body or whatever you kind of just have to have a bit of a short memory with that and i don't know the only thing i'm really worried about with saquon barkley is are they gonna work out the deal because i believe as of this recording he still has not signed his franchise tag 
and they're going to have to figure out some sort of you know deal as far as that goes. I'm a little bit worried that we could end up seeing a contract holdout, but I don't know. We're recording this at the very end of May. We have a ton of time until we actually really have to be concerned about that, but just something I wanted to sprinkle in there so that way people don't forget. Part of me hopes for redraft that they don't work something out because then that's going to knock him down redraft boards as people worry about the holdout. Those just don't happen at this point. I, I, I'm not concerned. The team wants him back. Obviously, it's going to come down to money. I think the one thing to be a little aware of and see what happens is he has not been as good after contact um, since coming back from his injuries as he was at the beginning of his career. Last year, among 45 running backs with 100-plus carries, Barkley ranked just 32nd in yards after contact per attempt, according to PFF. Ooh. That's not as good, not nearly as good as he was in that category over his first two seasons. Now, he made up for that last year by ranking third among all running backs in opportunity share, and the Giants have done absolutely nothing to change that. They added Eric Gray in round five. That's not competition. That's insurance. So I expect lots more touches for Saquon Barkley. He showed us last year that he can be the older version of Barkley, the post-injury version, and still be hyper-productive. So as long as the offense continues to ascend, as long as the offensive line keeps getting better, I'm not so worried about that. But it's something to keep an eye on as he moves forward. And maybe at various points you look at potentially packaging Saquon Barkley in a dynasty trade, um, you know, for a spot that makes sense for getting plenty of value, not a guy that I'm saying you should sell him now. I feel you. I feel you completely. And just quickly to your point about that offensive line, they were not particularly great last year up in New York, uh, ranked 24th in football outsiders adjusted line yards. And Barkley was still as good as he was in 2022. How's that for a fun fact? There you go. So don't be surprised if there is improvement in those yards after contact, but we'll see. Obviously, yards after contact is supposed to be uh, attributable to the running back, but it's a whole lot easier to get yards after contact if you're getting hit a few yards downfield versus right away. Number five on this list might be a controversial one, Herms. It was a little controversial on Twitter the other day. It is Josh Jacobs of the Raiders breakthrough 2022. Uh, that might have him a little bit overrated market-wise right now. I also think that he was underrated heading into last year, and that's a big part of the problem and the adjustment. It was the third time in his four seasons that he has averaged more than 18 carries and more than 70 rushing yards per game. His receptions per game are up over the past two years versus the previous two. They've had changing coaching staffs. My questions are, one, is the offense good enough to support him this year? And we'll kind of watch that develop through the summer because they suddenly have even more of a quarterback issue than it seemed like. And two, is he due for an injury this year? The curse of 370 used to be a much bigger thing in fantasy than it is now because we don't see running backs reach 370 carries ever. And Josh Jacobs didn't get to that number last year. But those really high touch counts at running back and Josh Jacobs was at, I believe, 393 last year. Those really high touch counts are about a lot more than just running back talent. It Things have to line up. Your team has to have the ball enough to get, to get you the ball enough. The running back has to stay healthy through all of these touches. And it's not just about holding up physically, but avoiding, you know, just the weird hits, one in the side of the knee, you know, breaking a foot, whatever. Um, and you have to have less competition in your backfield than a lot of other teams have. That factor is still in place for the Raiders. But all of those luck factors need to come together for him to match that touch count. Now, Josh Jacobs doesn't need to get a league-leading number of touches to be the number five dynasty back or to pay off at his ADP, which has a little bit of wariness baked into it. Those are just the, the two main things I wonder about looking at Josh Jacobs going forward. I hope the offense is going to be good enough. I mean, I really hope that Jimmy Garoppolo can find a way to pass a physical because otherwise, if he ends up moving on, and in case you missed it, check out the uh, the short section of our YouTube channel. Haha, <laughs> I can tell you all about it. If he's gone for any reason, it's Brian Hoyer and the rookie Aiden O'Connell. Oh, didn't you hear it's Tom Brady? Tom Brady's going to be the new Raiders quarterback. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, I okay, real quick. Wouldn't he, I believe, if he goes through with the purchase of that minority stake, would he then have to go to all of the owners to get permission to play? And, like, I don't know how many that, team that owners are going like to sign up on call. that. 
That seems like a quick Zoom call to me. Could you imagine being a Raiders minority owner and Tom Brady gets you on a Zoom and he's like, hey, guys, is it okay if I play? And like, no, this is why we signed Brian Hoyer. Sit down, Tom. You're an owner now. Yeah. <laughs> Age gracefully into this next period of your career. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, that's kind of a concern for sure. But then, like, to your point about, you know, wh whether or not that happens, let's say for all intents and purposes, Garoppolo is fine and he's under center. Like, the injury risk of just repeated exposure to that many touches. I mean, I, it's not nothing. You know, I, I don't know if I feel particularly good about, especially after a certain point, like I, it's part of the reason I kind of feel nervous about Derrick Henry. Sometimes it's not because he's not good. And it's not because he like, he's shown repeatedly, he can absolutely handle these monster workloads, but I just, it's such a violent sport. It's, it's really hard for me to feel pretty good about that. But I th the biggest thing with Jacobs for me, like whether it's, you know, good or bad, however you want to perceive this, like I think the reason that like you were getting at before, like why it's a little bit spicy to some people is because people were really excited about him coming into the league, like hyped him up a lot. And then he was like good, but didn't quite deliver. So people got a little bit disappointed. Then he turned the corner of being really productive. And those people that, you know, kind of lost faith along the way are starting to catch up a little bit. And this happens with players all the time. I mean, I feel like we're going to have a very similar narrative example of this, perhaps with Kyle Pitts in a couple of seasons. If he ends up blossoming into the player that we thought he would be, there are going to be some people who soured a little bit early on along the way and get a little skeptical about it the same way that people did with Jacobs. So I do think even just from a psychological standpoint, not even talking about football, not even talking about fantasy, all of that, I think that is honestly part of it with people. And that's something that I feel like folks should really be cognizant of, but I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit out of left field analysis, but you know, that's why they pay me the big bucks folks. I hope we get a healthy Josh Jacobs this year so he can just be rated, not overrated, not underrated like he was before. The guy is averaging 20.6 touches per game through his four-year career. He's been over 20 in three of his four seasons, like I mentioned. 2021 was the only time he didn't, and that was the season where he set a career high in receptions per game. So he's been getting the work. It's just that this time last year, people were stupidly underrating him. And now it seems like he's come out of nowhere when he's actually come out of somewhere and people just weren't paying enough attention. Now, that's our top five. You might have noticed that we have not talked about Christian McCaffrey yet. Maybe that's a mistake. Do you think we're making a mistake? Does he belong in the top five? Is there anybody that we did already mention that does not belong there? If you think so, let us know in the comments on YouTube right now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Either way, maybe you agree with us. So feel, feel free to leave that comment. I will never frown at an I totally agree with you guys. You're geniuses and you're also beautiful. Now, moving to number six, is that player that I just mentioned, Christian McCaffrey? I think Herms, I, I don't know. So let me get let me take this as the opportunity to get to this point. We have Christian McCaffrey six. We have Josh Jacobs five. We have Saquon Barkley four. I'm not going to go trade Christian McCaffrey straight up for Saquon Barkley. To me, that's the wrong way to evaluate rankings. And that's why I get a little bit annoyed sometimes about the argument over which one belongs above which. Like if two guys are ranked right next to each other in Dynasty, especially on my own board, I'm probably not trading either of those guys for the other one. Because what am I really getting? What I want to do is either target another position or make a package with these similar players and not ultimately lose the upside. So, you know, the first point here is just because McCaffrey's six doesn't mean we think he sucks versus number four, Saquon Barkley. Now that said, what do you think that this is an appropriate spot for McCaffrey? And if so, what are the concerns that put him down to six? I mean, I think some of the concern, at least a little bit is the fact that like this dude has the most real amounts of backfield competition he's ever had in his career in San Francisco. I mean, like Elijah Mitchell's good and he did kind of cut into that a little bit. Whereas like Christian McCaffrey's entire career in Carolina, it was just him. The Panthers offense was Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey was the Panthers offense. So like, there's a little bit of that to it. And then also the fact that I, he's a little older for a running back. So that's definitely not nothing. I think he still has 
two, three more years left on his contract. So like, I anticipate he's the type of guy. He is such a good pass catcher. Another guy that, honestly, if he really wanted to coming into the NFL, could have easily just converted to receiver and been a slot receiver. Like, it wouldn't have surprised anybody. So, like, his skill set from that standpoint will age well. But, like, we've seen the injuries, you know, kind of echoing what I was saying before. Like, thankfully, it wasn't a lot of, you know, things that were connected. There was the shoulder. There was, you know different things like that so it's not necessarily attacking one area of his body repeatedly but you know I I think it's really just that it's just that for the first time in his life that you know at least his professional football playing life there are guys around him and not even just at running back I mean we talk about how talented that 49ers offense is with Debo Samuel Brandon Ayuk George Kittle there's just a lot of mouths to feed so I guess maybe there is a little bit of that to it but like at the end of the day you're not going to go wrong betting on the guy that has been arguably the best weapon in fantasy football regardless of position over the last like what five years or so when healthy so I mean it's nitpicking but there's a reason why we do it this way you know we, we have to be able to put some sort of order together. Putting McCaffrey at six might seem like a knock against him, but look at the ages of all the guys around him. Everybody around him is younger than he is. So actually having him up here is a mark in favor of Christian McCaffrey. 5.9 career receptions per game, getting to your point here, 6.1 receptions per game over his Carolina seasons, 4.7 receptions per game in his time with the 49ers last year. His opportunities per game were down further overall when Elijah Mitchell was healthy, you know, as you said, more competition than he is used to. And then McCaffrey managers have been used to, I will say to that end, he probably has seen a bit lighter rushing usage than most people would guess among McCaffrey's six seasons. He's had just two with more than 14 and a half carries per game. One of those was his three game 2020. So, you know, we don't really know how that game, how that year would have ended up. He's heading into his age 27 season. So it's getting a little bit older for running back, but it's also prime age overall for an athlete. It's tough for us to know how much wear and tear the body gets from the different injuries, but it sure seems like there aren't many players that take better care of their bodies than Christian McCaffrey. So I think we can go ahead and give him a little bit more credit than the usual running back for keeping his body in shape going forward and lasting as long as he can. He signed through 2025. So that's this year, next year, and the one after maybe the lighter workloads, you know, slightly lighter, not to overrate that, but maybe the slightly lighter workloads help him to last longer. And maybe you balance out, okay, the ceiling this year and next isn't quite as high as it might've once been, but maybe I get an extra year or two out of him. So, you know, overall, not opposed to Christian McCaffrey at all in dynasty. I do think versus the other guys here, he's a little bit closer to the sell before he hits the cliff window. But Herms, if I'm looking at the guys ahead of him on her list, the only one that I'm trading him straight up to get in PPR is Bijan Robinson. And people probably aren't making that deal with me from the Bijan side. I doubt it. I d- hey, it's, it's always worth a shot, though. Send out offers in your league. You never know what could happen, folks. But yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely of the same mindset. So, you know, shout out Christian McCaffrey for doing you, baby. You're number, you're number one in our hearts, and that's what matters. Number six on our list, though, so yes, step dude. it up. Number seven here, Jameer Gibbs, the other rookie in this class, uh, to the Detroit Lions. The draft capital here, Herms, clearly shows that the Lions at least consider him to be an upgrade on DeAndre Swift, whatever his upside would have been. The question is, what is the workload upside for a guy who's 5'9", 199? So does Jameer Gibbs belong in this spot? Does he belong higher? What's your dynasty outlook on him? I think it's warranted. I mean, for as much as we do have concerns about some smaller guys like that doing the between the tackles running and whatnot, that's not what Jameer Gibbs really brings to the table as like his quote unquote alpha trait. Like this dude is an insanely good receiver, not only just like with how natural his hands are, but the variety of routes that he ran in college like we see a lot of running backs and we've definitely talked about it on you know the prospect shows that we did before the nfl draft and stuff but you know you either see the guys you know running out into the flat doing the little dump off or doing like the very simple screen and go but like gibbs did a lot more than that when in his time at georgia tech in his year at alabama like this is a dude that can definitely do a little bit more complex things and we talk about what lines offensive coordinator ben johnson has done in his time and you know, he gave DeAndre Swift like 70 plus targets over the last couple seasons. And it's clear the Lions were like, okay, 
Swift, we like you, but Gibbs, we love you. So I think that's definitely something going for him. Gibbs could probably walk into a similar type of workload at, at a minimum. But then we have to remember, you know, in case you forgot, Jamison Williams suspended for the first six weeks of this year. I know this is Dynasty. It's more than just this coming year. But that little window of opportunity, maybe they can trust Gibbs a little bit more. Maybe they can, you know, you know, find some work his way. And he could just show the Lions offense, wow, oh, cool. We have our own little Christian McCaffrey in this offense. Wouldn't that be great? And you don't pick a guy that high in the NFL draft, especially not a running back, unless you plan on using them a ton. So you just kind of have to let his you know, player profile, and then also the draft capital just speak for itself a little bit. It's a little bold, but I'm definitely here to take that chance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you don't want to lose sight of the long term for short term variations. But especially when we're talking about short window players, which are running backs relative to the other positions there, it's going to change their value. If Jameer Gibbs has an amazing first six weeks of this season, it's going to make him untouchable in dynasty league. So you're going to have to get him early on if you want a piece of him. Of course, if he goes the other way, then he'll be viable. But, you know, we'll get to that. When we get there, every indication is he will get early opportunity and the player that we believe he is should deliver on that opportunity. So betting on Jameer Gibbs now is a good idea. And, you know, as far as the workload stuff goes, if it was 10 years ago, I think it would be a bigger concern than it is right now. It's just the right time in the NFL for a player with size concerns to come in because they can build you a role. It's not just finding you a spot. It's building your role in their offense. He's built similarly to Christian McCaffrey. He's about two inches shorter three pounds lighter by their combine measurements, nearly identical in size to Ray Rice, nearly identical in size to Jamal Charles. Now, I understand that all three of those would be absolute ceiling outcomes, but that's what we're chasing. I mean, we're not chasing median outcomes. We want to get a guy that we think has an amazing ceiling, especially when his NFL team confirms that they believe that by taking this undersized back 12th overall. Might not work out, but you know what? A lot of the players we take might not work out. So if we just avoid guys because they might not work out, we're going to have a boring, unsuccessful dynasty team. Absolutely. We would be very much in the long, uh, wrong line of work if that's something that we were concerned about every time. <laughs> exactly. Number eight, we're going to go in the opposite direction because this guy is a little bit older. Austin Eckler is 28. He's probably not a charger after this season. I think Herm selling him is definitely okay. But so is holding him in case you can't get good value because everybody knows what the downside risk on him is. So I don't think you're selling him anywhere close to peak right now. And the other side is I talked about McCaffrey taking care of himself physically. I mean, who has better workout videos at running back than Austin Eckler? Maybe Derrick Henry, but I mean, who could we possibly bet on more for taking care of himself well at this position than Austin Eckler? So I, not a must sell somebody who's going to produce this season. And then, you know, we'll see beyond that. Absolutely. And not only that, but I mean, you know, shout out him finally solving that contract dispute between him and the team. We don't have to worry about that for this year. And then also just kudos to a guy who's super connected to the fantasy football community. I see you, Austin. We thank you for acknowledging us. But the biggest thing, you know, just I wanted to quickly mention, you know, people are going to point out the fact that, you know, the former offensive coordinator is gone. Like, the guy that really fed him all those red zone touches, is that going to, you know, regress somewhat? Like, I don't think so. Kellen Moore coming over from the Dallas Cowboys, he ran a red zone offense that ranked top 10 in scoring over his last couple seasons in Dallas. And he funneled so many touches to both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. There's no reason for the Chargers to go away from that, even with the personnel change. Like, what's behind Austin Eckler on the death chart anyway? How many years in a row have they made, you know, rolls of the dice on day three running backs that didn't work out? You know, it, it's his show. And until he leaves and we have to think about where he's going to end up long term, just keep rolling with it, man. Just just keep rolling with it if it ain't broke. Yeah, you could check out Herms' top running backs article on DraftSharks.com, free read. You can check out the rankings to see how high Austin Eckler sits there. It's high, spoiler alert. You don't have to go over there to find out because he's been very productive. He's worked out the issue. And like with Saquon Barkley, there is no reasonable competition for him in that Chargers backfield. So there will be lots of touches. The OC change for me is a positive. I mean, if a team goes to the playoffs 
should have won in round one and then fires its OC and immediately hires another guy when he becomes available. That move is a positive. I'm going to treat it that way anyway, because the team believes it's upgrading OC. So we'll see how it works out, but I, I am buying into the chargers offense big time this year. And really, honestly, that should probably include getting more off Snackler than I have to this point. The only problem in redraft is he remains in round one. So people aren't really down on him in that area right now. Dynasty might be the spot where you can buy him because everybody wants to get rid of a player before he hits a cliff. So maybe if you're on the other side of that, you know, if you're the Eckler holder, maybe you can't get as much as you want. But if you're the non-Eckler holder, maybe you can pay less than you reasonably should and get him from somebody who thinks that they need to get out before he hits the cliff. That's what makes them such a tough one. There's like one league of mine specifically. I know everybody doesn't want to hear about Herm's league specifically, but it's a good example. Just very, very briefly. Like I I'm in sort of like a win now, but I could also kind of afford to, you know, get younger. So like I put him on the trade block and I've received a few offers, but I'm just torn. I'm so torn. This is what Natalie Imbruglia was talking about. I just like, it's nothing's oh. right. I'm thing. But like, yeah, he he's so difficult to evaluate because it's unless you know for sure it's not going well. There's so many cases for and against that you can go with. Like, I don't know. Just shout out Austin Eckler once again. Thank you for watching. If you're out there, we love you. Hey, that's a tough part about this dynasty business is knowing when to get out on a player and knowing when to hold on to him, and then finding out that you held on for too long. I think maybe the one thing to reinforce is that. If the worst case scenario is you did hold on too long and you just get that all of that player's productive years and he's a top shelf producer, that's a pretty good worst case scenario. Absolutely. Number nine on the list is really the first guy to me, Herms, and I'm coming straight at you as a Steelers fan that just looks okay among the running backs that we're talking about. An extreme workload as a rookie. I believe overrated Najee Harris a little bit above, you know, on top of the Steelers making him a first round pick, which to us in fantasy at this point is like, oh my God, this is a ray of sunshine from the heavens. This guy is going to be a top running back forever because the team took him in the first round. So they did that. They gave him the ball too many times as a rookie. They already let him shed some of that last year to Jalen Warren, who was an undrafted free agent. I mean, Jalen Warren played pretty well, still an undrafted free agent, and they they shifted some of that work away from Najee Harris, which tells me not just that they like Jalen Warren, but that they don't want Najee Harris touching the ball nearly as much as he did as a rookie, which is reasonable. That's what you should want at this point. He did finish 14th among running backs in rushing yards last year, total rushing yards, but among 45 running backs with hundred plus carries, he was just 33rd in yards after contact per attempt. So I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a special player. I think for me, Herms, Najee Harris is a guy that I would be willing to, sell but talking about this range of running backs yes never mind the man on the microphone with the autographed Najee Harris helmet sitting over his shoulder on the little bookcase yes here is my very completely unbiased take no <laughs> I, it's it's no secret I'm a very big fan of the team and I, I I really like Najee but I think there is certainly reason to be a little skeptical like you said I mean Jalen Warren is a guy that you know watching and I know it's just They're out there in shorts. It's not really anything. They're just the OTA practices. But, like, Jalen Warren looks swole. Like, this was a dude last year that, like, he was a bit of a smaller guy, you know. But, like, he just looks absolutely jacked. I think they're probably going to continue to have him integrated in the offense somewhat. But the reason that I feel okay about Najee Harris, despite the fact that, you know, also he came into the league a little bit older, so that's definitely something people have to be mindful of. But at least the team invested heavily in rebuilding the offensive line. And then for as bad as offensive coordinator Matt Canada is, and just I hate the offense that they run, after the bye week last year, the team got considerably more efficient in just extending drives, the amount of yards that they were able to accumulate in the rushing part of the game. So, like, Harris will bounce back somewhat, but I I get why people are a little bit skeptical. My fandom and the fact that I really like the player is not going to cloud my judgment so much that – I'm just going to completely throw all of those things out the window because you're right. Like there are reasons to be concerned. And if you can put together a decent enough package, tell you what, if you can find the harms in your league (laughs) and you want to put together a really nice deal to offload Najee Harris, trust me, we exist. We're out there. It's definitely possible. 
Yeah, and just to clarify my point on Najee Harris, I'm not saying get rid of him before he lets you down, but if you oh, show sure. me your roster and you're like, I want to make a move to upgrade a wide receiver, which of these running backs would you sell? And you got multiple guys, top 15 level. Najee Harris is a guy that I think might not produce going forward to the value at which most people have him right now. Not a must get rid of, but somebody that I would be willing to move. You know, it's not just about him. The Pittsburgh offense overall, doesn't excite me. Maybe Kenny Pickett turns into something. Maybe they get more efficient. Maybe they score a lot more. Certainly could be wrong, but that all needs to happen to help the running back. He is in a good spot still for work. You know, some will go to Jalen Warren, but very few running backs have backfields to themselves at this point. So not necessarily a bad situation for Najee Harris either. Number 10, the last numbered guy we'll get to is Ramondre Stevenson. And I got to say a year ago, I not I would not have guessed that he would be among this group of players that we're talking about top 10 dynasty running backs in PPR. But now that I actually think about it and spend some time with it, I probably have not been giving Ramondre Stevenson enough credit this off season, at least from a redraft standpoint. And you know, also from dynasty, I do think last year playing in a horrible offense and having Damian Harris miss a fair amount of time with injuries definitely helped Ramondre Stevenson get all those targets that he got. But I think that you can also get into serious trouble with fantasy projections when you start making excuses for why a guy got high target shares and why he won't get them this coming year. You know, plenty of us did that with Amon Ross St. Brown a year ago. When you when you say, yeah, but this stretch, this is what happened. Yeah, but he was still the guy that got all those targets. So Stevenson was the guy that got all those targets for that garbage Patriots offense last year. He also led all running backs in yards after contact per attempt last year. So he was a very good runner. He was an effective receiver and they didn't really bring in a whole lot of competition unless you think that James Robinson is about to resurge. So Herms, where are you at on Ramondre Stevenson, our number 10 running back? He's a tough one, and he's a guy that you know I highlighted that we were definitely going to want to talk about because he just—he's such a disruptor to the to the form of what Patriots backfields are. I went back and I looked up some fun facts. Um, since 2017, this dude is the only Patriots running back who has led the team in carries and target share. Because we, we always talk about the fact that, you know, like Bill Belichick loves his committees. He loves to have the guy that, you know, runs. And, you know, we toss the ball down to James White so often. But, like, they were very specific roles in the offense. One guy did this. One guy did that. And then there was, like, usually some, like, irritating third guy that would sprinkle in and just ruin things for everybody. Kevin Falk. How dare you? But unless you're watching, in which case we still love you. But uh, I it, it's so bizarre to see – a guy like Stevenson be that guy. Cause honestly, when he was coming out of college, I liked him a ton. I thought he was a fairly capable pass catcher. I didn't know he'd be this good. And <laughs> so like he, he's even, you know, exceeding my expectations. But like the other part of it is like the last time that the Patriots had a guy lead the backfield in rushing yards three years in a row was Corey Dillon between when I was in checks notes fourth grade and sixth grade mind you everybody that i am almost 28 years old at this point so that is how long it's been so but like there's still two years left on Ramondre stevenson's rookie deal that's the really interesting thing about it on top of the fact that he got all of that you know receiving work like we've been talking about on top of the fact that he's carrying the ball a ton is like he might be the dude it i'm skeptical because Bill Belichick is still Bill Belichick. They didn't invest a ton to your point. Cause on top of James Robinson, like what they drafted rookie Pierre strong last year. I think they had, you know, I think his name's Kevin Harris. I think he was at NC state or something that like, I don't know, like they're okay players, but nothing that's really going to terrify anybody. So I just, do we have faith in Ramondre being super good or do we have faith that Bill Belichick's going to do something really annoying after this year and bring in somebody that we hate and screw everything up? I don't know. <laughs> now I want to get back to a strategy point from our dynasty strategies article in the DS university section on DraftSharks.com. Don't overrate the current situation. And we've talked about it a few times here. And I think it applies for Ramondre Stevenson as well. Now, Last year, he got a lot more work, especially on the target front, than any of us would have guessed heading in. 
I think that he seems to be in line for something similar this year. We'll see what Ty Montgomery does. We'll see if Pierre Strong is going to do anything. It certainly looks like Armandre Stevenson is in about as good a position for leading in carries and targets as just about any running back in the league. Now, I think the thing to keep in mind from what you were just saying, Herms, about the history of the Patriots is not necessarily that we should expect it to go back to what it's been this year, but this is also just one more snapshot. By 2024, we have no idea what else they might have added. The way that Bill Belichick operates, he's probably not envisioning Ramondre Stevenson as his workhorse for the next five years. He's probably the best option right now, and they're going to keep trying to add options to see what other guys can turn into. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson was a day three pick. They didn't bring him in saying he's definitely going to be the answer. They didn't bring Tom Brady in saying he's definitely going to be the answer. It's about taking these shots. It's about turning guys into what they can become. So don't overrate the current situation on Ramondre Stevenson. I've been underrating it a little bit. I think he's in really good shape for this year. I would still be willing to sell him in the right opportunity because I don't expect that he's going to be a multi-year workhorse in this spot. Completely agree one hundo. All right. So that is our top 10. You can see all of the dynasty rankings on draftsharks.com right now. Click the link in the show description. You can view by format. We're talking PPR here, but maybe play half PPR, non PPR, whatever super flex for the absolute best version of dynasty rankings, dynasty tools, all of that. You're going to want to sync your team to the site. You will get everything set to your league specific settings, your lineup settings, your scoring, you know, whatever it can tell who's on the other teams in your league. It'll tell you exactly what a player is worth to you. So I recommend syncing your teams. It helps you track all of them. It helps you make the right moves throughout the year from startup drafts, rookie drafts, trades, all that. Herms, I mentioned we hit the top 10. Now it's time to get to some of the guys outside it. And I want to talk about who on our personal lists should be higher. Who's your guy that did not make the top 10, but maybe should have. Frankly, I'm I'm a little I'm a little nervous about this one because there's reasons okay. why he's a little bit outside of this, but I'm gonna go ahead and go for it anyway. And his name is Tony Pollard because look, Ezekiel Elliott, as far as we know, isn't coming back. As we are recording right now, the Dallas Cowboys moved on from him, got out from under his contract, and Tony Pollard pretty much just stands alone atop of that backfield with not a whole heck of a lot going on around him and over the last two seasons this dude has come through as the rb16 overall in ppr 13.2 points per game not super impressive he saw 101 targets in that span never had over a 10.9 percent target share not that impressive but when you consider the fact that this dude's only played 39.5 percent of the dallas cowboys offensive snaps now that's a little impressive if he could just see the field a little bit more often and get a little bit more going on for him, then like, yeah, this could be super fun. We saw last season so many times where Tony Pollard just exploded when he received a ton of opportunity. But there's also a pretty interesting counter argument on top of that. But before I even get into any sort of stuff like that, how do you feel about that call? I mean, do you think Tony Pollard's a pretty good dude? I will say it is, in fact, the exact player that I wrote down as well. Tony Pollard has been consistently good after contact throughout his career. He has been consistently strong in yardage and scoring efficiency. He's a good receiver. And, you know, you talk about if he only got more work. A lot of times we get into some trouble in fantasy by saying this guy's super efficient. If only he could get more work. Well, Dallas said the same thing this offseason by franchising him, by releasing Zeke Elliott, and then by not adding a whole lot. Their biggest addition is the tiniest addition in Deuce Vaughn, round six of the NFL draft. So we've got Tony Pollard and a bunch of other dudes in that backfield. It's a running back friendly offense that we've already seen for both Pollard and Zeke Elliott. It should stay that going forward. Age 26 for Tony Pollard could be viewed as a negative if you just look at everybody's ages, but he only has 510 career carries through four years. He's had limited workloads to this point because of sharing that backfield with Zeke Elliott. So he should have more tread left than a lot of other similarly aged tires. And if you are worried about Tony Pollard holding up physically at his size, then you also need to be worried about Jameer Gibbs and anybody else that is that size. 
I'm not worried about that. And especially because we're talking about a short window position. So if Tony Pollard only lasts for two or three years as a high level workload guy, then so be it. That's what I got. I think that he's in for a lot of work and a lot of production this year. He's somebody that I have had to talk myself into in best ball drafts because we saw him go earlier, like early round three, late round two. And at first I was wary, you know, I I have those thoughts. Like he hasn't been a workhorse. How is he going to hold up? Well, I don't know is the answer. Maybe he doesn't, but maybe he does. I talked about Ray Rice before. I talked about Christian McCaffrey. There are other guys at that size who have gotten lots of work. So rather than embrace the concerns, I think you embrace the uncertainty and you say, I don't want to bet everything on Tony Pollard, but he's in a great situation for me to at least bet some on him. Absolutely, dude. And, you know, just one thing I do want to throw out there for people. There was this quote that kind of came up during the season last year. This was after week eight, the Cowboys running back coach, whose name I didn't write down. That was smart. Uh, (laughs) After that game in November, he he had mentioned that Pollard felt kind of faded after 30 plays in that game. Like that's sort of a little bit of an issue when you think about that and you hear about that initially, but you keep in mind, Tony Pollard was doing strength and conditioning to be a compliment behind somebody else during that time period. The only reason I mentioned this is because I think people are really going to hammer home, especially as we get closer to the regular season, things like this. They'll bring up examples like this. And while like anecdotally, it's a strong argument, like, like we've been getting at, who are we to say that Tony Pollard cannot prepare his body to do different things and manage his way to, you know, being healthy for a higher workload? We're going to have to wait and see, but it's better to be optimistic, not too optimistic, than just to be completely dismissive and just blow off the possibility because he's just been so good. He's just been so good. It's important to be reasonably optimistic. You shouldn't say, I don't care about his size. I'm just going to take him. But you also shouldn't say he's too small. I'm not going to take him. Like we have to one to some degree, trust that a team is going to know how to use a running back. And then two, know that if they overuse him, then we're probably going to get 12 really good weeks from Tony Pollard getting a lot of work and putting up numbers, and we'll figure it out for the other five weeks. So I'll go ahead and take a shot on him. On the other side, Hermsey, who are you selling? Who do you not like as much among dynasty running backs as others? Could be somebody we already talked about. Could be somebody we haven't gotten to yet. It's the Ramondre Stevenson thing. I'm going to be honest. Like, it's for all of the reasons that we talked about before. Like, All of the pieces are in place for things to be perfect for him again in 2023. I am not super comfortable about just anticipating that that's going to continue to be true as time evolves into 24 and 25. And I know I said earlier, like Stevenson still has, you know, two remaining years on his rookie deal, like, which is great, but look at how often the Patriots sign running backs to extensions. Ha ha trick. They don't ever do that. Ha, ha, ha. That's the point. I don't know what Ramondre Stevenson's value is going to be after this. Like, I I felt really good about Damian Harris once upon a time. Now, granted, I mean, I believe Ramondre is better than Damian Harris, but just as a recent example, like, he was really good. He scored a bunch of touchdowns. We were like, ah, Damian Harris, ah, blah, blah, blah. And then they don't bring him back they give the job to someone else and then like i mean buffalo is a great landing spot don't get me wrong but like there's he's nowhere near the value that he used to be and this is just a more heightened version of that example like would i bet on the talents of Ramondre stevenson especially a guy that big like sure of course i would but i have no faith in what's going to happen to his career after next season not this upcoming one but after the next season Like, if you're hyper-competitive right now, hold on to him. Whatever. Don't even worry about it. But if you're maybe not in that window, like, this is a dude that, like, you could, you know, approach another manager in your league and be like, look, man, I got, like, two years of guaranteed awesomeness. What can you give me for that? It wouldn't be that unreasonable to cash out now. It really wouldn't, especially for all the reasons that we talked about before. I think that Ramondre, like, love him but there's plenty of reason to get out now. Uh, uh, I think the factor that we haven't really addressed here on trades so far is that you can't just trade guys that 
don't have any value left. You have to trade some valuable players at some point if you want to get something of value in return. So I agree yep. that Stevenson is a guy with enough questions to him that it's an okay um, guy to move on to look for value. Not somebody that you need to get out from under, but somebody that can get you some reasonable value. And, you know, if you use it to upgrade a wide receiver, maybe value that you can tap into for a longer window beyond that. The guy that I'm lower on than the market is Travis Etienne. I'm lower on the market uh, lower than the market is and lower than we are. We have him at number 11 right now in our dynasty rankings. That is definitely not my ranking for him. It's similar to Najee Harris, who, by the way, preceded Travis Etienne off the NFL draft board. He's fine. Uh, I the, the difference is I think that way too many people think he's well above fine in terms of, you know, a, a starting NFL fantasy running back. 17th and 20th in Football Outsiders, two primary rushing efficiency metrics last year. 16th in success rate. Not bad. Fine. His target share, though, dropped after the team traded James Robinson last year from week seven on, which was the game that James Robinson sat out before he was traded. Six and a half percent target share for Travis Etienne. This is for a guy who is supposed to be a big time pass catcher coming into the league. That didn't materialize at all. Then Doug Peterson said, you need multiple backs. I know a lot of coaches say that, but then his team added multiple backs. They signed a Dearness Johnson. They drafted tanks, tank Bigsby in round three. And I think the amount of pushback you get right now by pointing out tank Bigsby as a significant addition is telling of how the market is overvaluing Travis Etienne. I don't know how you look at Jacksonville drafting a three-year SEC workhorse in round three when they have a two-year running back already in the backfield who had more than 60% of the carries over the second half of last year, I don't know how you look at that move and don't call it significant. That's not where you draft simple insurance at running back. You know, could you find examples of guys that were drafted that early that didn't get a whole lot of work? Sure, you can. But that's not where teams are drafting straight insurance running backs. So I think some work is coming away from Travis Etienne this year. He was already lacking in the receiving side. We know the team doesn't want to overload him on the rushing side. I don't think that there's any, I shouldn't say any, I don't think that there is a, a real path to him improving his dynasty value from this point now to this point next year. So for that primary reason, I would be looking pretty hard to try to sell him this offseason. If you are somebody who has listened to the Draft Sharks podcasts and you've checked out the Draft Sharks YouTube channel, you've definitely heard us talking about this for quite some time. The Tank Bigsby-sized elephant in the room is a big concern. But the biggest thing, like, you know, because I don't want to get too far into that discourse because I've been pretty much saying the same thing the entire time anyway. But I just really want to echo the point that you mentioned about, like, he didn't materialize into being the pass catcher. That was like the whole thing. I was super excited about his ability to do that. Like going through, like watching some of his film, like in Clemson, that really natural connection he had with Trevor Lawrence, the guy that is on his team now. Like that hasn't manifested itself at all until that happens. Like even if Bigsby doesn't do anything, like hypothetically, if all of that other stuff working against him just is irrelevant and it's the ETN show. I'm not going to care as much unless he improves in that department because, like, we've been talking about the PPR rankings. And what does that mean? One point for every time you catch the ball. The guys that are really good at doing that are going to have significantly more value in this format. And, like, like you said, like, where's the path, you know? I think he's kind of showed us who he is. And as disappointing as it is, people got to be you know, open to embracing reality a little bit more. And for what it's worth, the receiving that he did do in college was not to the same degree of Najee Harris, Bijan Robinson. It's not like they were sending Travis Etienne downfield a lot. It was a lot more of the typical running back swing pass, check down, screen pass stuff, which is fine. It's most of running back receiving, but it just hasn't been an area where he has been special. And yeah, first round pick. It's playing with his college quarterback was the show last year. But when that target share dips, when you're the show, that's a bad sign going forward. So, you know, we'll see. I'm a seller on Travis Etienne. Uh, we'll see where he goes. Herms, you do a lot more dynasty leagues than I do. You've been doing more rookie drafts than I have. I want to hear any big surprises from rookie drafts as you've been moving through this spring. 
So it's it's I'm I'm really glad that we brought this up because it actually ties in super well to you know kind of behind the scenes we were having our you know our reshuffling of our you know rankings meeting and we had you know similar kind of mixed feelings on these rookie running backs that I've seen in my rookie drafts just going to keep the theme consistent folks we're talking about running backs like it's been interesting outside of Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs two guys that we talked about on the show a lot of course they're great but after that it gets a little bit shaky and there's a couple of these guys that found themselves in backfields two of which that you and jared talked about on the uh the backfields episode so if you missed that definitely go back and check that out also a uh, place where we talked about jaguars running backs by the way yeah there we go See, hey, whew, we, we are exploring all of these situations for you so like the three though the three that have been the most interesting is um kendra miller Tajay Spears and Zach Charbonnet. Now, I I didn't look at all of my rookie drafts for this, but I chose a sample size of six of them that I've done, mostly with, you know, other folks in the industry and stuff. So that way we can really get, you know, the sort of like expert takes. And that's been weird. So Kendra Miller found himself on the Saints roster. All of that. I know that you guys talked about that one on the show. He went as high as the 110 and as low as the 212 in some of these drafts. That's a pretty big range if you ask me. Zach Charbonnet went as high as the 112, as low as the 205. Not nearly as big of a range, but definitely kind of a tricky one. That Seahawks backfield, who knows, folks? Who knows? The one that really interested me, though. So, Ty J. Spears, the Titans, the knee, the two ACL tears, the lack of cartilage or whatever like i don't know he's gonna have to sit behind derrick henry for a year regardless so as high as the 108 and as low as the 303 in these rookie like once you get past the top two running backs there's not a ton of consensus like i know like tank bigsby kind of goes in a similar range in every single one of the drafts that i've been in generally like mid to late part of the second same with roshan johnson with the bears and then the kind of dart throw guys you take in the third and fourth. But, like, we were so excited about all three of these running backs. <laughs> and there just seems to be no sense of agreement as to where we should feel about them. But I think that just speaks to the larger um, landscape of running back that we're in in Dynasty right now and how ambiguous things kind of are after a certain point, which is generally true. But as we're seeing so many of these elite guys age out, it is really difficult to kind of – put our finger on the various pulses throughout the league in these backfields. So, yeah. And Ty J Spears obviously is a bit of a strange case because all the knee stuff came out right after the NFL draft. So nobody knows how to feel about that, but it's great that there are these variations of opinion. There's even with all the research and everything that people either know or can find at this point that there's such, you know, wide differences in where people take um, individual players. I think it's fair to be worried about, Ty J Spears and Zach Charbonnet. I think Kendra Miller among them is the guy that's the most positive. That's probably the the variation on him is heading into the draft. There was plenty of, I don't know about Kendra Miller. And then there was plenty of, I really like Kendra Miller. And then the NFL draft said, you should like Kendra Miller with where he went and the situation he landed in where there's potential opportunity. So he's going to be very interesting to watch. I'm curious even to see how 2023 goes for him with the Camara situation, with how much work he can get versus Jamal Williams. I'm also interested to know about a couple of receivers that you mentioned to me before the show, especially our boy Jaden Reed. What have you seen with Jaden Reed across rookie drafts so far? There are people like us, the Jaden Reed people, who really like the dude that are like willing to be aggressive and target him like – not super early in the second round per se, but you know, maybe like the middle of the second round, you know, just like really take your chance on that guy. But I've seen him slide into the third rounds and stuff like kind of later on. And I'm like, what is the matter with you people? What is the matter with you? I mean, like, obviously we don't know how good Jordan love is going to be as a quarterback necessarily, but if we don't want to rate that too much though, we don't know how bad it'll be. If he's bad, if he's bad this year, he's probably not their quarterback in 2024. Exactly. So like, you know, take a chance on the, talent of the player i mean we talked about him on a recent podcast but you know kind of long story short version is just like you know played a lot outside in college it was probably more ideal for him to be a slot receiver it's what he did at the senior bowl and that's probably what he's going to do in the pros it's he's he's going to serve a really nice role for that offense and uh uh-huh see there you go glad you brought this one don't overrate the current situation folks never bingo 
And, you know, I agree that he's probably going to play in the slot, but we also saw him work outside and in the slot in college. So even though we can assume the slot and he's been working there early, we've also seen a player who has shown positional versatility. So there's more than one path to him being effective. I do think slots going to be his best path. Josh Downs is another player that you mentioned and somebody that I'm less high on than Jaden Reed. What about him in rookie draft so far? I think he's good. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Very talented guy. He was very good at playing football in college, which is why he's doing it professionally now. But I've seen a lot of people like very early, like the, the 201, 202, 203, stuff like that. Just be like, ha Josh Downs. And like, I, I get it. The path to targets isn't difficult. I mean, what does he have to do? Like, beat out Isaiah McKenzie, primarily a special teams contributor to this point in his NFL career. Like, cool. And then you look at the other Colts receivers and it's like, all right, Michael Pittman Jr. kind of doing his thing. Like, that's about it. So like, cool. Okay. That's another really good thing going for him in his favor. We also spent a lot of time on this episode talking about the fact (laughs) that this is going to be, at least we anticipate with reasonable amount of, you know, research and information to put behind it a very run heavy team with a guy in anthony richardson who we're probably not going to expect to have a ton of passing attempts per game so like my big thing is again even though you just mentioned it don't overrate the current situation let's say for all intents and purposes anthony richardson sticks that's more than just the current situation because that would then be a long-term outlook with the same quarterback if the version of the offense that they put together works and they don't really pass a ton and Richardson succeeds, then what about that current situation is going to change in 24, in 2025, in 2026? And then you're kind of putting yourself in a situation that's just weird. Like, again, Downs, very talented player. His ability to climb up the depth chart, fairly easy. I get that somewhat. But how enthusiastic are you Are you about wide receivers in super run-heavy offenses? I'm not. <laughs> I think this is a good example of not overrating the current situation by not being excited about Josh Downs, because if that were the only thing against him here, then yeah, I might say ignore that, but he was drafted in round three. So that's NFL draft capital saying that ignore the huge reception totals over the past two years in college. He's not that guy. He looks like a slot only player. So he's going to really need target volume to get him to fantasy value. He now joins a team where Michael Pittman is already in place as that target share leader. And they're probably not going to be among the NFL leaders in um, pass attempts anytime soon as he got to. So again, if that were the factor, then maybe we worry about that. But if it's a factor, it's definitely something you consider. So Josh Downs, not somebody that I'm out on, Not somebody that I'm excited about, though. I think it's difficult to get him to this path where he's a true fantasy difference maker. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that you're betting on ahead of where NFL draft capital put him. Jaden Reed is more of that player for me than Josh Downs would be. I'm with that, and that's why I have more shares of Reed than I do of Downs. There we go. If you're considering Josh Downs early in round two, stop considering it and take take Jaden Reed instead. That's going to do it for this Dynasty Mostly Running Back episode of the podcast. If you listened or watched all the way to this point, then please give us a review, a rating, a, a like, a salute emoji, whatever you think we deserve. We'll take all of it. We appreciate you watching and supporting our work. Subscribe to the Draft Sharks YouTube channel to get notified of new videos daily. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast feed instead if you just want to listen to us while you're driving or mowing the lawn. I always try to talk loud enough for you to hear me through your headphones while you're doing that. For Herms and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. (laughs) 